0: This morning, um, I want to I wanna, I wanna jump into the book of Romans uh, together. A couple of months ago, I shared, uh, and when I did, I, I, I talked about how, uh, in like a little quick aside, if you listen to that message, uh, how the book of Romans was just such a powerful book. Uh, and, and Paul writes a lot of letters to different churches and different groups of people, and most of them are very short. Um, you know, in some instances, maybe even like a page, Um, if you were to type it out in a Word document. And so uh, they're very pointed, like, hey, this church, if you're dealing with this thing, here's how I would see you through that. Here's how I would navigate that. But Romans is is kind of like a beginning to end everything all in one, like doctoral dissertation. I mean, it is a massive essay of a letter that really covers everything. And uh, as I shared that in the the message, I kind of went back to that personally, and I had just been reading through the book of Romans a little bit, and Kind of meditating on that, and uh, and I and I like to when I like to do my devotion. Sometimes I like to try to look at things from different perspectives. Like who who is Paul writing here? What are these people experiencing? And so sometimes I'll Google some stuff, and I came across this popular phrase as I was doing that: that all roads lead to Rome. This is very popular phrase that uh, came about about a thousand years ago, and it stuck around in common culture. And it was this idea that the Roman Empire got so big. And so powerful that almost every major thoroughfare, major highway, led back to Rome. And, and no matter where you were in the world, you could find a road that that led there. And I started thinking about, well, that's that's the people that Paul is writing this letter to—people that are used to. Well, there's there's any number of ways to get this done, right? There's 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 more than one way to find your way to this place. And and Paul is writing to this this group of people and saying, Hey, there might be any number of roads to get to Rome, but there's only one way to get to the father. And that's through Jesus. And let me start at the beginning and march you through and help you understand, Hey, there's only, there's only one way into relationship with the father. Jesus says it this way in the gospel of John. He says, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so I think it's critical that if we're on this road, this single solitary path to the Father, it's important that we we guard ourselves, we protect that road, we provide guardrails to ourselves for the journey. And I think that's what Paul is doing here, just the same way if you leave the parking lot today, there's curbs and road signs and traffic signals and paint to help you stay in your lane and stay guarded and stay safe and stay on track. Paul's doing that here, and so there's a number of different guardrails, I think, as we march through the book of Romans, and I think there's more than I even listed here. I cut it down a lot, actually. I was was doing my notes uh, because I'm under a time crunch here, but I want to just encourage you that, that maybe everything in here is not for you, but I think something in here is for you. And I think we can all be encouraged and be more intentional, more strategic about how we guard the road that leads to Jesus, the road we're on, the, the faith journey that we're a part of. And so as I was reading Isaiah 53, 6, um, that's kind of where this title and this idea came from. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, right? We've veered off course, we've gone off track, but the Lord has caused the wickedness of us all to fall on him instead of us. And and that's the, the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the message. Jesus came and made a way where there was no way. And now we have confidence that there is a road that leads back to right relationship with the Father. So let's pray over the message really quickly today that it would just go into our hearts and do a work in us. Lord, I just thank you so much for this word for who you are. Father, speak to us today. Help us have uh, open hearts to receive from you. Help us to focus on those things that you would speak to us today and be moved to action in our faith practically, Father. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, let's, let's dive right in. Number, number one, guardrail number one is be an encourager. If you want to stay on the path. To the Father, if you want to stay in right relationship with God, I think encouragement is such a big part of that. Romans 1:12 says, uh, this is Paul kind of jumping into the letter, writing to the Romans says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. And so right from the get-go, is, as Paul is kind of mapping out this journey and saying, hey, here's the road that you're traveling. Here's, here's how you need to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He says, take on a spirit of encouragement. And he continues on, and he says, the way I'm able to do that is because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And, and I think that the reason we can be ashamed of the gospel or, or shrink back and, and maybe doubt or think, is this, should I do that? Should I step out in faith here? Should I encourage somebody? Because for me, like, that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with is, like, I feel this nudge, right? Hey, pray, pray for this person. And, I, and, I, and sometimes I'll, like, I'll push the Holy Spirit back out of my head and be like, no, don't pray for that person. That takes Courage. But that's, that's literally what Paul is saying here. He wants people to encourage. He wants people to put courage into others. And it's by being confident and assured of two things, either or both, your identity in Christ or the clarity that the gospel brings. And, and, and there, there is that little voice in the back of your head that says, hey, don't pray with somebody or just tell them like, hey, I'm going to pray for you. No, don't say that. Pray for them right there. Stop and be practical and say like, hey, I'm going to loop myself into this thing with you. I'm going to tie myself to you. I'm going to walk with you through this thing. I'm going to pray with you right now. But it takes courage. And that, know, that means knowing whose you are. And it means knowing the word of God. And those two things can only be encouraged. You can only put courage inside of yourself to give it to other people by spending time with him by by trusting in the identity that he's given you son or daughter beloved beautifully wonderfully made unique that's the that's the truth that's the identity of who you are and the word of god that does not return void that is not a lie that you can stand on and trust because 2000 years Later, it still rings true. We can read this letter from Paul to the Romans, and we live in a society saying, no, there's lots of ways to get there. No, there's not. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Number two, a changed life means a changed heart. Romans 2.29, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. What Paul is saying is here is, hey, if you're a true follower of God, right, not just a Jew in name or culture or heritage, but a true believer in God, then you're not getting tied up in little debates about the law of whether or not you have to do this, or maybe should do that, or it's a good idea to do this, but you're continually exercising your heart to make sure that it is becoming more and more led by the Spirit and like, Jesus, I I did some interesting research this week, because we were talking about the heart. Did you know that in the United States, we, uh, we have a heart problem? Every, every 40 seconds in the United States, there is a heart attack. Wow. Every 40 seconds. More people died from heart disease last year than diabetes, Alzheimer's, pneumonia, the flu, and, uh, and all accidental deaths combined. Right? Like almost 700,000 Americans. That's just America right? And it was crazy. I, I, I was like, well, this is bad, right? So what do we do? There's got to be a pill or something, right? No, there's not a pill. But if you Google that, what you find out is the number one thing that doctors say you need to do to help with heart disease or to help your heart be healthier is just be active. Exercise. Exercise. And I think just in the same way that our physical hearts need exercise, so too do our spiritual hearts, but, but just like in the actual physical realm, I know I just got, COVID killed my rhythm. So I'm getting back into working out. And I worked out the other day for the first time in a long time. We're not going to talk about how long. But I worked out and a couple of like for three days after I worked out, right? Like I was like a baby horse, just with the wobbly legs walking around. And uh, even in the midst of the workout, my, my heart was pounding. It was uncomfortable. And, and every day after that, until I went again, I felt uncomfortable. I felt doubt. Like, did that really do anything? Did, did anything really happen there? Is this something I want to go back to? Like, can I keep doing this? And I think we do the same thing in our walk with the Lord. We, 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 we get out of rhythm sometimes and then we go back and we read a verse or we read a chapter and we're like, reading. Or we pray, and, and we, we're, we like list off all these things that pop into our head, and then we get to like the end, and we're like, amen. And we're like, man, I'm glad I spent that last, oh, that was only 93 seconds. And we're like, how do people pray for 10 minutes? They exercise that spiritual heart muscle. There's, and It's the same way. We get that voice in the back of our head. It's just a lie from the enemy is like, oh, you're not strong enough. Or, oh, shut this down. That didn't make a difference. Or, oh, whatever. And you've got to understand that if you want to have a healthy heart in real life, you exercise. You put up with it. And when you push through some of that initial struggle and discomfort and you get in a rhythm, man, you can start to thrive. And then you start to set goals. And then you start to think, well, 93 seconds. I don't have, that's way too little time. I got all these things I got to pray for. I got all this. I want to glean knowledge from, I want to spend time with him. A changed life means a changed heart. We've got to be worried about our heart to stay on track, to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Number three. This one's a short one. I'm not going to talk about this much, but I've only ever really done one thing worth boasting about. This is pride. We've got to come to the end of ourselves as believers. If we're on the road that leads to Jesus, that means we're that we're pushing aside every other road where we would be the God and Savior of our own lives. I've only really ever done one thing worth boasting about, and that thing is saying yes to Jesus who did the other thing for me. Right, like The longer I live, the more I understand that saying yes to Jesus is really the most significant thing I have ever done and will ever do in my life. And everything else is just, it's just pluses. It's just bonus. And most of it is coming because of something I've gotten from him, like the breath in my lungs or the brain in my head or the relationships that I've, I've happened into or met with other people. And, and as long as I keep going back to him and understanding, hey, I've only ever really done one thing worth boasting about. It's a great conversation starter. It's a great opportunity to lean in and not be hokey and like, you know, oh, Jesus, it's the best. It's, it's like actually saying like, no, hey, thanks for recognizing that talent in me. Thanks for recognizing the success that you're seeing right now. But ultimately, that all comes from one yes. That all comes from somebody bigger and better and greater than me. And, and let me deflect praise where it goes because, I mean, I think for me, in my personal life, the secret's out. Like, like, it's all about him. It's, it's really not about me. Because I know that, and I've had friends in my life, we come and we go, and guess what? The world doesn't stop spinning. There's only one name that's above every other name. There's only one name and one person at the end of time that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, and that's Jesus. So we want to stay on track. We want to stay here. We've got to remember, hey, I've done some good things, but really, I've only ever done one thing worth boasting about. Number four, This is good. Joy can come every morning. I feel like we're in a, man, an epidemic. I I I told you I work in the school system. It seems like every year I have more and more kids dealing with anxiety and depression. and And I'm sure there's lots of studies that could point to a lot of different things. But if you think COVID's bad, I mean, just trying to help kids understand they have value, that they're important, that they matter, that there's purpose inside of them, man, that, that is a struggle that's real out there. And it's not one that we're immune to here in the church. We're all on some level dealing with this idea of, man, can I, can I really live a joyful life, a free life, a full life? And I will tell you, that's what God is calling you to. In Romans 4, 7, Paul says, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. David says it this way in in Psalm 30. This is the Psalm right before he dedicates the palace to the Lord. It's kind of a part of a ceremony. And he writes, I will extol you. I will praise you. I will lift you up. I will be full of joy because of you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. This is beautiful, poetic, as any, you know, David, he's a creative, he's a songwriter. He writes this beautiful picture about being drawn up in the Lord, and literally what he's saying is, as as a bucket would go down into a well empty, it has to go down empty, but it comes up full. You've drawn me up, and now I sit... And I've not let my foes rejoice over me. The circumstances, the trials, the things that I've experienced, those things aren't lording over me. They're not lurking over me. They're not in control of me. You've lifted me up and I'm full. And so I have something to praise God about every morning because my sins are forgiven. Everything that I've, been do- that I've done, every, every side street I've taken as I've got off my path, you've pulled me back, Lord. I've not gone too far from your sight. I have hope in you. Lamentations says it this way in in chapter two. His mercies are new every morning. You can wake up every morning and be sure of one thing. No matter what you're facing in that day, no matter what trial or circumstance you find yourself in, God is there with new love and new mercies and something fresh for that day if you're willing to meet with him. Number five, when when we're stretched the most... We grow the most. This is, this is a hard truth that I think as followers of Jesus, we just have to understand. We can't always be looking to go around or above or beneath the problem or the trial that we're facing. Sometimes it's staying on the road and walking with Jesus through it and understanding that, hey, when I'm stretched, I'm grown. That stretching could be uncomfortable, but it also can be purposeful. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I heard this. This story a few years back, there was a, a little boy and a mom uh, in Japan, and they were, uh, they were driving in the car and they were going to an athletic store to pick up some stuff for like a sports team he was joining. And it was baseball, soccer, or something. And they got in an accident, bad car accident. And he woke up in the hospital a few days later, and because of the accident, they had amputated his left arm. Uh, and he was devastated. Can play baseball anymore. You know, he felt like he was worthless. He had lost things that he had loved. His mom uh, just didn't know how to handle. Like, what do I, what do I do? You know, because who? Knows? There's no guidebook for that, right? And so she's trying to encourage him, and she sees him sad and, and forlorn, and she finally finds something. I don't know. They had yellow pages in Japan, but she flips through the yellow pages for the point of my story. They do, and she finds this judo class. And she calls and she says, hey, I've got this son. He's got a disability. He's got no left arm. Do you think that he could come and this could be something that he could do without that and join in? And uh, the trainer said, oh, I I would love to train your son. This is the perfect thing for him. Bring him to judo class. I'll I'll work with him one-on-one. This is exciting to me. So he shows up and mom's like, why is this guy so excited? And he goes through the classes and he liked it, but he was still unsure of himself. And the, the master said to him, hey, if you stick it out, If you train with me every day for the next few months, I I promise you, I will make you a champion. And, And the kid is like, sure. But he had fun, so he comes back and he comes back. But every single day, they only practice one move. The same throw over and over and over. And he sees the other children learning different moves and different throws. Master, why am I learning? Okay, just I'll trust you. I'll trust you. Until the day of the tournament shows up and he goes out onto the mat nervous and unsure. First match starts the match. The master's like, hey, stay focused. Just do your throw. Focused. Do your, you, you've mastered it. You know it. Do your th-. He goes, does the throw. Wins the first match. His master, not even surprised. Great job, high five, let's go. The kid is like, what? Second round, third round, keeps winning, gets to the finals, ma- matches up with a kid that's won this thing three years in a row. The, the, I don't know if they call them refs, but the referee is like, hey, are you sure? This is really good. I don't want him to get embarrassed or hurt or whatever the master, no. Execute your move, do your thing, you'll be fine. He gets out there, does the throw, beats the kid, wins the championship, right? Gets the medal, celebrated. He doesn't believe it, what's happening, right? He's, he's driving home with his master and his mom, and he's like, hey, do, even doubting men, do you think they let me win because I'm the kid with one arm? And he goes, I'll tell you two reasons why you won. One, you have mastered one of the hardest throws to master in judo, and if you can execute it properly... Almost no one can defeat you. And number two, if someone does try to defeat you when you execute that throw, the only way to reverse that, the only way to fight that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. And he goes, see, he thought he had a problem. He thought he had a trial. And he did. Let's not minimize it. It's devastating for this young boy to know, I've lost an arm. I've, I've lost a part of myself. Who am I? And you're searching and you're wondering. God is telling you in this verse, no, you can rejoice because even when you think you've lost something, I can teach you something new. Even, even when you feel like you're not whole, if you trust in me, just trust the process. Stay on the road. Don't veer to the left or to the right. I'm taking you to the Father. Jesus is a friend that can be trusted. Number, number six, uh, I, and I think it's messed up on your note card, but we're going to get it right right now. I am a slave to what I give my time to. I'm a slave to what I give my time to. I debated using this language because uh, there's a lot of different translations that say slave or time or uh, servant or bond servant or other things, but I think that Paul uses harsh language in here on purpose. He's trying to communicate something to the people that he's speaking to. And the Romans would have known this better, better than anybody. They, it was, slavery was common in the Roman Empire. Paul is saying, hey, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. I love this. Romans six seventeen. the next verse says, Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. One translation says this form of teaching, and the word there is, is like a mold, like, like I've, I've, I've written out these guidelines for you, and if you hold true to this form, if you stay on track, if you stay in your lane, if, you, if you're molded by the gospel, the good news of Jesus, then you'll become a slave to Christ, which, which really is a, is a way of saying I'm, I'm dying to myself, and I'm going to put him first. I'm going to live for what He has for me. That's especially important because as we move to number seven, this guardrail, it's dangerous to trust me with myself. It's dangerous to trust me with myself. I, I think all of us can read this passage and immediately identify with it if you're, if you're human and breathing. Seven, uh, verse seven, excuse me, chapter seven, verse 21 through 25. I have discovered this principle in life, right? Right? Paul is waxing eloquent here. If I've ever learned one thing, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I can't be trusted with myself, but guardrail number eight, I'm not meant to be alone And so, yes, by myself, trusting myself with me is a dangerous thought because my mind is saying do this and my body is saying do that. And then this person's telling me to do this and that person's telling me to do that. And should I take this road or that road? And, And Jesus is saying, hey, you're not alone. You're not meant to be alone. You're not meant to trust yourself with you. Romans 8.12 says, Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you live through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father do you catch this, right? If you leave yourself to be trusted with yourself, right, you're, you're going to be driven by your thoughts, driven by my feelings, driven by the latest new advice and the self-help book. And, and maybe some of those things aren't bad, but there's only one road that leads to the Father. And it's, it's guided and directed by the Spirit of God that he's placed inside of you because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You are a child of God. And because there is more than one, right, there are children, plural, you have brothers and sisters. You have a heavenly father. You are not meant to figure it out alone. You can't be. If you're on a road where you feel isolated and alone, you're on the wrong road. You just are. I love the use of this word, Abba, Father. It's, um, it's only seen a couple of times in Scripture. One is, one is right here. But another place that we see it is in Mark 14. When, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross, he cries out to God and says, Abba, Father. And there's some nuance to this. A lot of people translate it like an intimate greeting to a father, and it is. It's, it's like daddy, it's like, Daddy, please. It's intimate. It's, it's soft. It's, but it's also obedient. Really, when, when in, in Hebrew culture, when you say Abba, you're not just saying Daddy. You're saying, Daddy, I will obey you. Th- there's more context to it than just a greeting. And so it, it, is, it is neither just the gentle Daddy nor like a dominant, respectful, yes, sir. It's, it's, it's right in the middle. It's this closeness of like, you are my father. And that's why Jesus is able to pray in that moment. I I, I want this cup to pass from me, but your will be done, not mine. Abba, Father. Number nine no one is ever too far gone. No one is ever too far gone. Romans eleven, eleven through 12 says, did, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. He wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. We had our serve day a couple of weeks back and one of the, the ladies uh, at, the, uh, at the serve site where we were helping out a, a restore kind of a home that was used for getting women out of human trafficking in Tampa. And one of the amazing organizations, No More, uh, we've partnered with as a church and we're helping them in their ministry. And this was one of the ladies, she spoke to us and, and shared her story. And, and, and this woman uh, was incredible. She was super sweet and so thankful that we were there to help. And she's actually gone from volunteer to staff and helps rescue these women out of terrible situations. And she shared her story with us and she said, hey, I, I just want to let you guys know, um, no one's too far gone. I've been arrested 49 times. And she says, I haven't been back to jail in 13 years. I'm so glad that God didn't give up on me at the 48th arrest. And it just blew me away, her saying that, right? Because it's it's true. We have a God that gives first and second and fifth and 50th chances because no one's too far gone. And and so a fantastic guardrail for your life is to come to the understanding that hey, I'm on track, I'm I'm following Jesus, I'm headed to right relationship with the Father, I'm being sanctified and made more like Jesus every day. But there's no one else that's disqualified from being on this road with me. There's nobody else that I wouldn't help alongside or bring into the family because hey, once they're a child of God, they're your brother or your sister, they're family. And, and I think this beautifully ties into the next two points. Number 10 is what am I doing with what God has given me? What am I doing with the knowledge that I have that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Paul writes in, in Romans 12, verses 6 through 11, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. As God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility serious. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. So I would, I would ask you as, as you're on this journey and, and, and you're focused in on what, where God's taking you and you're trying to guard from veering too far off track to the left, to the right, and I'm staying focused on Jesus, what has God given you? What, what has he placed in your hands? And, and better yet, if you know the answer to that, what's your next step? What are you doing with it? And, and if you don't, I would take you right back to verse 11. Hey, just don't be lazy. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You know what two things you don't have to have any talent to do is work hard and have a good attitude absolutely no talent required i used to coach cross country for a long 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 time for like eight nine ten years you know what the the best runners are the runners that work hard and are enthusiastic have a good attitude there's that saying about you know talent can can beat people who you know can't be people who work hard i don't know there's this phrase but work hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard found it paul Hey, there we go. Two more quick points. Number 11, don't argue, add value. Man, if there was just something that just, we all need to read before we go on social media. Like this required reading for every human. Read this and then you can, it's like that warning before you get in your car and you back up, you know, I'm not gonna text while I drive. You you are, you do it. Number 11, don't argue, add value. Romans 14, accept other believers who are weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Don't argue. You're not the Lord over anybody. Let me let me take a responsibility off your shoulders. You don't have to do that. Why? Because God says it right here. Verse 12. Each of us will give a personal account to God. I'm not accountable for you and you're not accountable for me. Now, does that mean that we don't need to be accountable to one another and be in good relationship and encourage and all the things others? Yeah, it doesn't discount any of that. But just simply in terms of seeing someone else's life, not having a relationship with them, and then taking aim and saying, you're doing the wrong thing. Don't argue. Add value. Let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Paul says, decide to live in a way that costs you something. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna challenge myself to restrict the behaviors and the attitudes and the conversations I have to make sure that they're a benefit to other people. And quite frankly, and this is a question I'm asking myself and I'm challenging myself with, How many people do I know well enough to do that? How many people do I really know well enough to know that how the things that I say, the words that I speak, the actions I take, the jokes that I make, is encouraging them or taking them off track? I've gotta be more mindful about those things. Why? And this is the last guardrail for you. Number 12, find the right note and add to the music. Romans 15, five through six says, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is beautiful language from Paul as he's getting ready to wrap up his his letter. I'm not uh, a musical talent per se. I have other giftings. Singing and, and music and instruments are not one of mine. I know what a harmony is, right? But I was I was like, how do I best explain this? And so I did what any normal person would do. I went to the dictionary. So Merriam-Webster says this about harmony. In music, it's a pleasing arrangement of parts, an agreement or a chord, providing internal calm or tranquility, an interweaving of different accounts, into a single narrative. Now to to have a harmony, you have to have a small group or a group of people that each sings their own note. If everybody sings the same note, then you're singing in unison, you're not singing in harmony. And and what Paul is is saying here is that, hey, when when you sing your unique, authentic, God-created note, and, and we all come together, we, we make a beautiful harmony. I, I, I Googled, I was like, wow, well, there's gotta be some songs out there that are popular with harmony. So I Googled songs, songs. You know what? I thought there would be some good songs. I didn't know that there would be a list a mile long that it's not even worth me sharing with you about number one hit after number one hit after number one hit, right? Just when people do harmonies well, they're a hit. And, and ultimately I searched and I was like, well, let me find a song that has a harmony and then is sung in unison. I couldn't find it because if, if people can't do the harmony, they just, they don't try. They're not like, well, it's never gonna sound as good in unison as it could in harmony. And I'm here to tell you as believers in Christ, when you find your own unique, authentic note and, and you play your note and you stay on the right road, then all of us as a part of the church come together in harmony and it's a hit. Why do people walk in the doors and, and have an experience or a moment with Jesus? Sure, I mean, I hope they got a great high five and the message was good and the worship was amazing, but when we're all in harmony, it's a hit. People, people recognize it. They can, they can see it. They can feel it. They can sense it. Find your note and add to the music. There's a number of different guardrails, and I encourage you to read Romans on your own and dive in and find more, but Paul is really telling these people in Rome, hey, there's lots of roads to Rome, but there's only one road to the Father, and it's with Jesus, and you've got to guard that. You've got to make sure that you're putting things in place to protect that path, that journey of faith that you're on. Let's let's pray really quickly that God would just seal this word in our hearts. Lord, I just thank you so much for this time today that you would just speak to us through your word, that everything that you're experiencing, uh, that we're experiencing right now, Father, that if it's from you, that it would just take root in our hearts, that you would help us to take practical steps forward with your word. Father, help us, help our church, give us blessing and favor. In Jesus' name, amen.